Okay, I'm gonna pray and we'll stop. Father in heaven, we pray um, this morning that you'd open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. Amen. Okay. Um, second and final of two weeks thinking about how to enjoy the Psalms. And oh, thanks very much. Look at that. Um, after this, Sunday school is, is on pause for the summer, okay? So this is the last week. Next week, I'm sure the WhatsApp group will be full of messages with people asking, is it on? But it is not on next week. You are now the people in the know. Um, last week, what I was wanting to do is, and really what I want to do just in these two weeks, is if you like, put, this, put the Psalms back in our hands without, without so much fear. Um, I think one of the things I've noticed recently is we because there's quite a lot around in the world there about how to understand the Bible rightly and how to read it and principles of exegesis and all the rest of it, that, that's all really good, but it can make you so paranoid that you end up not being able to use the, not being able to read the Psalms without thinking I need a theology degree first or something, um, which is just not the case. The Psalms, in many ways, is, is one of the simplest books to read because they are prayers of God's people back to God, as it were. Um, so... What we're going to do this week is dive straight into Psalm 13, round tables. I want to try and look at two Psalms today, by way of example. So, have a look at Psalm 13, and read it through, and I put three questions down there. How does David feel? What do you notice about how David prays? And that's meant to be really, really open, okay? So just, yeah, lots of observations. And then how is his prayer, his lament, it's a, kind of, it's a sad prayer, if you like, how is it different, if it is different, from how you pray when you're, you're downcast. Okay, so I'm not trying to do a whole Bible study on it, I realise that, but just those three questions. Over to you. Okay. Um, let's, have, let's have some thoughts. Um, Psalm 13. Let me open it up. Let's have some feedback. Um, how would you describe his mood, his feelings? Downcast. Downcast. Yep, he's certainly downcast. Anything else he talks about? Okay, so, so it's obviously a lament, you know, kind of sad psalm, as it were. I thought it was a hand. It's like an auction. Don't twitch, otherwise you get, you get, like, you get pinged. Any, any other kind of emotions or... Yeah, anything else you talked about that? I wonder about, I wonder about kind of, for want of a better word, kind of confusion. So lots of questions. Yeah, how long? What's going? Will you forget me forever? So he clearly feels far from God and he doesn't quite understand why exactly. Um, what about how he prays? What do you notice about how he prays? Sort of things you talk about. Let's go to that table. You definitely twitch that time, Tash. So you're. Uh... Yep. 
Yeah. Totally, it's, it's, it's a roar, isn't it? It's not, um, yeah, he's, he's honest, open, he, he's, he's willing to ask questions. Um, okay. I mean, let, let's, in fact, let, let's, let's push together those two questions. What do you notice about how David prays and how is it different perhaps from how we pray? Yep, that's really helpful. So you hear people say sometimes, don't you? Um, you must start. Well, you must start your prayers with praise. You know, don't start with self. Or you must start with confession, maybe. Or then you pray, and almost like there's an order. Um, but but he's just in a in a mess, as it were. He's just there, just pouring out. His, yep. Helpful. Other things. Yeah, great. He is. He's just pouring out his heart, isn't he? Um, and he's he's um, he's just describing how he feels to God. He's not really um, giving God the sort of solution exactly, and he's not. He doesn't sort of feel like he has to caveat it all. At least in, the, in that in the lamenty bit, you know. How long shall my enemy exalt over me? I mean, I know he's not really exalted over me ultimately because you've won the victory, but you know, it, it, no, it's just this is what it feels like at the moment. Um, yep. Um, and, and and even the even the requests are quite are quite generic. They're just sort of you know save me how long, um, rather than really kind of this is how this is the answer, Lord, to um, to sorting everything out. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. The the boldness is really striking for us. I think. I. Yeah. Would would we dare talk like that? Um, essentially, what he do, what he's not done is pick up a couple of things really a couple of points people made he's not tidied himself up got himself all sorted out and then comes to pray you know once he's all nice and calm and everything's okay and um, he just he he's praying in the yeah in the chaos as well in the confusion um, he's ha- happy crying out i didn't put the quote on the sheet again this week but last week i put a quote from calvin on the psalms which talks about i can't get it exactly right but basically says part of the reason this book was given to us was to show us the freedom we have to approach God. Um, it shows us the kind of prayers that God wants us to pray. So obviously we can pray the literal Psalms, but they're also patterns for us. A bit like the Lord's Prayer. You can pray the Lord's Prayer itself, obviously that's good, but it's also a pattern. And so this kind of freedom, being willing to come to God to pray, um, yeah, is, um, is one of the real blessings of the Psalms. Just for the sake of time, let's keep going. What I want to do, I'm going to get, we're going to get to another psalm in a minute, but I thought it might be helpful just to think about some of the, the, the kind of key, 
key people, key phrases in the Psalms that can sometimes throw us off track. Last time we thought about some of the problems we have, this time some of the people. Um, so this is a bit like when you have to study like Shakespeare at school and at the front of Macbeth or whatever, it lists all the characters just so when you get confused you can flip back and remember who they are. Um, come right back to Psalm 1 and we'll see some of these characters. Or Psalm, Psalm 2, sorry. One of the characters that comes up regularly in the Psalms is there in verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, Psalm 2 verse 2, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The anointed one, or the king, comes up pretty often. And very often it's David, literally, as he's the first person writing it. But, again, no surprise, David as the king is pointing us forward um, to Jesus. One of the questions you ask anywhere in the Old Testament or anywhere in the New for that matter is how is this psalm, how is this passage pointing me to Jesus? And often the king is a very obvious way uh, to do it. Come back to that in a bit with our our second psalm. Um, You'll also meet the the people of God or Israel. Now, some of this is old hat for you, but um, it won't be for everyone, so bear with us. Um, Israel are the people of God in the Old Testament, so they are essentially the church of the Old Testament. And what you see in the New Testament is that um, if you like that, that Israel are referred to as the church and the church are referred to as Israel. They are essentially one people. So Stephen, remember Stephen is martyred. When he does this great speech in Acts 7, he calls Israel in the wilderness the ecclesia. Now ecclesia, you hear that word. Um, ecclesi- ecclesiological is to do with the church, isn't it? Um, he calls Israel the ecclesia, the church. And it works the other way around too. So in Galatians 6... Paul calls the church the Israel of God. And the idea here is ultimately there's only one people of God. So that's why in Romans Paul uses the illustration of um, an olive tree growing. And the olive tree is the Jewish people throughout the Old Testament. And he says us Gentiles, well, he's not a Gentile, but us Gentiles, we're like grafted in, we're like branches stuck into the tree. So now God is bringing in Welsh and English and French and Australians. And, but it's not a new tree. There's only ever one people of God. Or in Hebrews 3, um, the author talks about there being a house. And Moses is a servant in the house. And Jesus is the Lord over the house. But there's only one house. Old Testament people of God, New Testament, there's only one house. So, of course, there are changes. You know, we, don't, we can eat pork now and we don't circumcise our kids. And there are, there are some outward changes, but fundamentally it's the same people of God. Because always the call on God's people has been believe, believe the gospel. Okay, that's what makes you a real person of God, a real part of the church. So when you read about Israel or the people, just think church. Uh, what about Zion? Mount Zion um, comes up fairly, um, fairly often. So verse 6 of Psalm 2. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Mount Zion is the, the hill Jerusalem is built on. So often it stands in the Psalms for Jerusalem. And again, depending on the particular psalm, Either, as in Psalm 2, it's reminding us about God's rule. So I put my king on Zion. Remember that David and all his descendants ruled in, in Jerusalem, built their palace there. Or sometimes it, it's, the focus is more on the fact that Zion, Jerusalem, is the place of God's presence. That's where the temple was built. And so, again, very often when you read about Mount Zion or Jerusalem, in terms of like, what's that got to do with me today, I'm not that fussed about a city in the Middle East, think church. So church in the New Testament is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The physical temple was a 
a picture of what is to come. But also think of Zion sometimes as the place of God's rule. So his, his presence is the temple, that's where he lived, but he's there to rule. And so sometimes in the New Testament, Zion is, it means, it's almost like a picture language for heaven. So Hebrews 12, the verse in your sheet, um, the author says, You have come, you Christians, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Because you're Christians, because you're in Christ and Christ is sat in heaven, it's as if mysteriously you're already in heaven, already in Zion, already in the heavenly Jerusalem. So there's quite a few Psalms that talk about the city of God or Zion or, and again, don't, don't start thinking, well, what's this got to do with the literal city I can find on Google Maps? Think, what has this got to do with the church or, or heaven? Um, then there are enemies there in Psalm 2 there uh, as well. This, in, in Psalm 2, there are the, um, the kings. Verse 1, why do the nations rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord, against God and his anointed one, his king, God and Jesus. And throughout the, the Psalms, you'll see these enemies. Um, first verse of Psalm 3, oh, many, how many are my foes, my enemies rising up against me? What are we meant to do with these? Well, often they're enemies of David, the, the king. And therefore, if you like, by, because David's the picture of Jesus, they're enemies of Jesus and his people. And ultimately, Jesus' enemies are our enemies. Jesus has come to rescue us from his and our enemies. Who, who are they? Well, the most obvious is the devil, who in the New Testament is a raging lion trying to devour us, or a snake trying to tempt and deceive us. So again, one of the things the Psalms help do, if you, if you get used to praying the Psalms and reading them, they kind of keep you awake to, to the idea of spiritual warfare. We are in a, a battle. Um, it's so easy to fall asleep. Several times in the New Testament we're told to stay awake, and, and prayer is a key way of staying awake. And the Psalms remind us that, 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 that the Christian life is warfare. Uh, we've got an enemy at us. Just because we can't see him doesn't make him any less real. So Enemies are the devil, there's the enemy within, which is sin. And the sin that remains in you is, is the, the greatest danger to you. And finally, too, human enemies. In, in Psalm 2, the enemies are, are real people, aren't they? Um, for David, very often, I mean, you can see the superscription, the title of Psalm 3, when he fled from Absalom, his son, he was literally being chased around by an army. So this is the hardest category to think about, I think. And sometimes you'll read Psalms where um, they're called psalms of the implicatory, they're, they're, they're cursing psalms, where, you're, where the, the psalmist calls on God to, to smash someone up. Again, you see it in verse 7 of, of chapter 3. You strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked, or arise, O Lord. Now, we're not meant to pray those against people we don't like. Okay, so it's not personal enemies. If you've got an enemy, you know, someone you don't like at work, that, that's not the idea. Rather, these are um, people who are determined to bring down Christ and his kingdom. And there are human beings out there, not just Satan and Sid. There are human beings out there who are very much determined in that way. Um, we said last week that one of the ways you pray the Psalms is in, in sympathy with the broader church. So you might not be feeling whatever the psalmist is feeling that week, but someone in the church worldwide will be. If you're in North Korea, it is totally legit to pray Lord, bring down, smash, break the teeth off um, 
who is it now? Kim Jong-un. Um, now, God might want to do that by making Kim Jong-un a Christian. Okay, smash him down, break his stony heart and turn him into a Christian. Great. God might want to do that by removing him from power and bringing in a, a government that's going to let the church flourish. Great. God might want to do that by killing Kim Jong-un. It's not, that's not hard. We're not specifying to God how to run the world. But the idea of praying that God's enemies, Christ's enemies, will be conquered in whatever way he sees fit, again, is, is, is a, it's not an Old Testament way to pray. Well, it is an Old Testament way to pray. It's also a New Testament way to pray. The devil, sin, and the, the world set up against God. So you needn't fear if you're praying those prayers that you're somehow being, being nasty or something or... Um, disobeying Christ's command to love, you know, love our enemies. Um, we, we are not specifying what should happen to these enemies. Just that Christ would conquer to the ends of the earth. The earth would be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. So there you go. There's whatever it is. Four or five kind of key characters in the Psalms. Does anyone want to ask anything on that before we look at another Psalm together? Now we do on time. Perfect. Happy with our five key characters. Great. So imagine, let's do Psalm 3. Imagine you read Psalm 3 tomorrow morning. Two really simple questions. How might it lead you to pray? And how might it point you to Jesus and the gospel to encourage you? All scripture is meant to point you to the gospel of Christ. Again, have a read through. Okay, it would be good to... I want to finish my 10 pass and it'd be good to pray. Let me, let me just share a couple of thoughts and then it'd be good to pray around tables. <clears throat> you, could do a, you could do a proper Bible study on Psalm 3 where you've done loads of preparation and all the rest of it. Morning by morning as you wake up and read a psalm, most of us have not, not got the time or the, the capability or the whatever to, to sort of really do a huge in-depth study. But you, you just don't have to do that with the psalms. You can do it. And there's even more to find every time you dig. You just don't have to do that every single time. So very quickly, how might it lead you to pray? I think it's a good psalm to turn to when you're very aware of some of those enemies that are, that are, that are against you. Verse 2 in particular, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. There are times when Satan will, in the words of the hymn, tempt you to despair. You are not going to be saved if you've done that. It is an incredible thing that God wants you to come to him and say, Lord, I feel like I'm not... I'm, I'm full of doubt. I don't even know if I'm yours. The, the enemy is saying to my soul, no, I'm not going to be forgiven. Help me. Save me from this, this tempter, this accuser. And then there's the, the confidence. You are a shield around me. I've been clothed in Christ. You, you, you are the one who lifts my head. Verse 5. If you think of it on the lips of Jesus, I lay down and slip slept i woke again for the lord sustained me um jesus ultimately did lie down in, in the sleep of death sleep is a picture of death very often in the bible isn't it um jesus surrounded by enemies um who who said exactly that to him you know there's no salvation for you where's your god now you know the taunting on the cross but he stayed faithful you were a shield around me he lay down and slept not just for the night but into the grave the lord sustained him rose him up again, raised him up again, woke him up again. Uh, and therefore, what does he do now? Well, he sits at the right hand of the Father. Remember what the Father said to him, ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. That's what he's doing. Arise, O Lord, 
save me, strike all my enemies, conquer. There's all sorts of ways that that, that psalm kind of pictures Christ. But also it is a psalm that you, you can just pray when you're feeling like everything is, is overwhelming you. So two or three minutes, just around tables. We've got the service coming soon. Let's close in, in prayer.